And we're back. This is the official kickoff of season two. We've been off for a few months. To say a lot has happened during those months would be an understatement. We got a ton of ground to cover, but before we do that, there's a bit of a change that Farb and I need to confess. We have a new co-host. It's not the first time you've heard her. She's been in past episodes, but she's coming in full time to round out the much needed trio that made this pod great from the beginning. Her name is Genesis B. Yep, yep. G, introduce yourself. Hi, Eddie. I'm Genesis. Genesis B. GB, if you will. And I'm an art activist from Biloxi, Mississippi. And yeah, I love creating art. I love talking about spirituality. I love talking about the human condition, humanity in general. And I'm really, really excited to kick off the season with y'all. And it's so perfect. I feel like the, the entire point of this, this show to begin with when we started it last year, I mean, we called it Honestly Speaking. And, you know, we wanted it to be the place where we could have just conversations to talk about things that we ourselves were unsure about, where we could learn more, where we could dive deep. And I think over the first season, you know, with the different, you know, people that we brought in, uh, I think we were able to do that. But it's pretty amazing to have Genesis on. You might have heard her episode and she's been doing all sorts of kind of intersectional work. I'm really pumped because on the side, me and her are working on a film project called Mississippi Turning. She's the star of it. It's oh, been yeah. Something that's been filming for years. It's all in her work about, you know bringing conversations back uh, to her hometown of Mississippi while, you know, talking about the Mississippi state flag, which finally uh, was overturned. And there's actually a beautiful new flag now. Anyway, we hope you can see that film this spring. But yeah, the the, the, tr- the trio, we, we've got a group of three back to really round things out. We've got some super exciting uh, episodes coming up next week just to put on your radar. Mayoral candidate Diane Morales, who's running here in New York yes. City. Uh, we're going to do a live pod with her. So we're going to be putting some info out so you can join. We want you all to be on with us. We're going to be having a conversation, but it is an open forum to hear from what we think is probably the most progressive candidate in the race. We're not saying who we're voting for yet, but we certainly <laughs> are quite interested uh, to learn a lot more with her, uh, from her. rather. And uh, just to tie everything together, you know, one of our favorite guests we've had, uh, Ify E.K., uh, she's working on her campaign, so you know it, it. It all comes into a circle. So, look, we've got we've got GB, we've got Ed, you've got Farb. Yeah. We're back, um, and let's dive into it. Um, you know, we're we're gonna push back the stuff going on with the trial because it's too live right now. We're not deep enough, and you know us. We like to come in after the fact to really do some deeper analysis. But it's Black History Month. There's a lot of feelings around that every year. Like, why is it February? Why is it the shortest month? And, you know, we opened up um, the news yesterday and we saw that a man running for governor in Michigan, who happens to be a black man, wants to get rid of Black History Month and make it American History Month. How are we feeling about this? What's his reasoning behind it? I guess that's really what it all depends on is his intention. Is he he saying, okay, so maybe we should have a Black History Month? every month or is he saying that that in itself is an exclusion and we should just remove black history month 
without replacing anything or continuing black history throughout the year? So that's a great question. So his post was, I will cancel Black History Month in Michigan. It's offensive, unfair, maybe illegal. Americans from all backgrounds deserve a revered history. I declare American History Month. The funny thing about that, in my opinion, too, is I always say, like, you know, black history, African-American history is American history. And I do kind of hate how I would say white people hear it and then box it into one thing and only kind of interact with it in one place. So on a flip, I actually <laughs> there's like a small part of that. I agree. But at the same time, I know that if we don't push it to the forefront, at least for one month, if not more, then it's not even viewed at all. <laughs> so kind of a conundrum there. That's true. I agree with that. I, I don't like how we cordon off black history as if black people are some alien group that is not really mainstream. It's, I mean, it, it, it's, so that whole exercise, I think, I mean, this does a little bit of that, but on the flip side, this guy's basically saying all history matters. He's just all lives mattering this. A hundred percent. It's the classic reverse racism and you use, it's, it's like, uh, you know, after the civil rights acts and you try and put together anti-discriminatory policies, it's like, wait, the anti, anti-discriminatory policies are discriminating against white people. It's like, wait a second, but we, we, we just... We just flipped it, and now we're flipping it right back. You're using our tools against us to basically, you know, not move the needle at all. So it's that, it's that weird sort of, um, you know, talking out of both sides of your mouth thing. But also, let's just say that he's a candidate. He's running for office right now. This is like, this is exactly what he wants to get him on front page, to get him his candidacy, uh, publicity. Yeah, he, he's a deeply conservative person. He's showing up at, like, Stop the Steal rallies, right? Yeah. He's, a, he's an apologist for the people trying to kidnap, you know— Gretchen Whitmer. Yeah, exactly. There's clearly uh, a lot of things bubbling up in Michigan. So the, the governor's office is up for the taking. He's trying to ride that wave. You know, aside from his intentions and in trying to just, you know, cater to that particular demographic, I think it would be a beautiful thing if America could evolve to the point where we didn't need a Black History Month, where we didn't try to fit all of the contributions of Black folks into one month. Because... America is is black, you know, like there is no America without without the black experience, without black contribution. Like that's the truth of the matter. So, I, I mean, I, I would love if we can evolve to the point where our education system reflects this throughout the year. You know, not not really, you know, agreeing with him and his intentions. But I mean, growing up in Mississippi, even Black History Month, I didn't really get a, a good understanding of the contribution of my ancestors. It's reductionist in the first place. So he, the fact that he's making an argument that is a good argument to an extent, he's he's making it in a completely bad faith way. Like his argument is bad faith because he's trying to gin up controversy and, and ride a racist wave to the governor's seat. Well, you know, it's, I was just, <laughs> Genesis, there's this like YouTube kind of like joke video that i know i sent to eddie at one point which is like it's like these two white guys but they're basically joking one is is like a caricature of like a white supremacist and then the other is like a caricature of like a super like woke person and they're saying we're like <laughs> we're like actually some of their talking points to like actually like sound kind of the same like on like how they say things mm. and i mm. i think that's the, just the interesting stuff on this but at the end of the day it's like it's always this unfortunate point where it's like yeah if we lived in a perfect situation where we didn't have to do all these things and we didn't have to have equity you know and how we didn't have to have restorative justice and yada 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 then mm -hmm. all these things would be okay like there was someone like wrote in this person's post like yeah and let's get rid of pride week too and it's like 
<laughs> like, like once again, like if maybe there wasn't, well, first of all, it's just, I think awesome to just celebrate just things. So, you know, in general, I'm for all sorts of celebrations, but like it's bad faith. It's always, I think that's what this just comes down to. It's just the bad faith arguments. And then we have to play in this like good faith role of trying to like logically argue it when it's something that just inherently is a talking point to, to retain power. Right. That's that's the game. You know, and it kind of goes to the whole 1776 commission, you know, the pushback on liberal history, which is a pushback against the 1619 project. Yeah, I would throw that, at, you know, this in the same bag with that whole movement of like anti-American history and anti making a, a, a call for, for progress and uh, equity inherently anti-American, right? So it's that, it's that easy spin that conservatives make all the time. Pushing forward to something that's bound to just make every, well, people, I guess moderate to right hair on fire. I read this morning that Mark Cuban up to this point this year has not had the national anthem play at Dallas Mavericks games. I believe he's the first sports, they're the first sports team. I would say sports owner and like just the, the word owner just has such loaded connotation. I feel like the more and more I say it around sports teams, it just, it's a Nikki feeling, but um, sport, the, you know, they're the only sports team to not do it. And Ed, what was your response when I messaged it to you? I thought it was pretty perfect. Oh, I said, great, because this isn't North Korea. Sort of <laughs> forced nationalism, you know, this, this mm. sort of militarized marching of, you know, you, you will comply to our nationalism and you will, uh, you know, outwardly exalt it. You know, that kind of feels like the standing for the national anthem. I mean, it's, it, I'm not, it's not completely analogous to North Korea. Like, I'm being a bit provocative here. But there is this weird sort of, you know, having to comply to a certain nationalism that is slippery slope. It gets us into dangerous areas. So I'm for it. Yeah, I feel like I've always had a little fear and anxiety anytime I'm in a crowd and it starts doing anything in unison, including standing with the hand over the heart or chanting. I don't know, but I would, now maybe it's like genetic trauma or something. I always feel anxious. But interesting enough, like growing up, I wasn't allowed to stay, say the Pledge of Allegiance in school. Like my father told my brothers and I, like, don't do that. You like you don't you don't pledge allegiance to cloth. You don't pledge allegiance to a nation that you might not agree with how they're moving or what wars they're starting. So, yeah, I've never really been for it. Honestly, I never truly understood it. I don't understand why we do it in the first place, honestly. I mean, I do, but I, I, I think that goes to also this is I think this is kind of a middle finger to the NFL, right? How do you not how do you not connect this to Kaepernick? Oh, it's totally a middle finger to the NFL. Mm. Mark Cuban loves being an, an instigator, one, but two, it's like the NBA. It's like just being proactive, probably about something that they think probably will happen no matter what at some point, and then they just get to just jump ahead of it. Because you know the players are going to be all for this once it's this starts like making the circles, and then the NBA because it's you know unlike the NFL you've got a coalition of superstars that really do have like the bulk of the power. Thanks. The NFL doesn't have like they just have too many players. It's just it's too de too just decentralized. Um, so they have a special ability to do it. But like I don't know. I mean we yes we have the anthem for all sorts of different things. But I would go though as far as saying that. I don't know if maybe this is just me like 
coming out a little bit on my not being like the most pro-religion person. But we have all sorts of things that we do to unite ourselves, to feel good and happy at the end of the day. And like religion is one that keeps mm -hmm. you like, you know, like my grandmother's really Catholic. It's a big part of it is because she's from Spain and it like it attaches to her culturally. But like that keeps her happy, right? And it's like for some people, that national anthem, if your identity is limited, and let's be let's be serious, like there's a reason why the higher up the academic ladder, the more you've kind of traveled, the more things like it starts stretching. It doesn't mean you're not spiritual or you can't be religious, but it frays. The more provincial and the more narrow you've been, the more honed you, you are in. So if you're in Wyoming and you've never left anywhere, you're going to be probably pretty ride or die national anthem because like that's all you mm. know. So it's just like people in life just need identities. Otherwise, it's just it can be very lonely and lost. So I get why people are really hyped on it. I also just think that people don't want to admit that like America in many ways is the villain of the story, not the hero. And so the more you unwrap that, yeah, for sure. uh, our anthem is not so sweet. And even like setting aside the anthem in terms of like the actual, you know, words in it, it, it raises a bigger question around how you identify like you know if you all all of these black players you know being traded in and out of teams this that, and the other being on, on spectacle you know no matter you know what blessings might come from it at the end of the day america is not treating black folks fairly and has not since the inception so i look at it similar to where uh here in mississippi before the flag changed they would fly the confederate emblem with the state with the national flag and expect you know, black folks to pledge allegiance to both, right? And I know that's like, it's, it's not a far push between the Confederate flag and the actual American flag in terms of like, okay, how much of a patriot am I? You know, and like, how, how, how do you expect or force people to pledge allegiance to something that is uh, telling them that they're less than human? Yeah, I mean, also like, like the, you know, I know Francis Scott Key was a Star Spangled Banner, but like, you know, we know that so many of these songs, like the people who wrote them, some of the original lyrics, you know, like the root of what these things were, were quite limiting. And of course, the whole world was quite limiting at that point. I know that starts to get like a little complicated, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's hard to be unifying when something just isn't for something. And it's like the NBA and the NFL, a hundred percent, like make all their money off the backs of black bodies. <laughs> so uh, it's a whole thing. Like, I don't know if we were talking about this uh, the other day, but I guess I'll just kind of re-say it, which was talking to the NFL and the fact that, you know, football in the Ivy Leagues was started as a way to just like retain like intense masculinity. And once again, it wasn't even, it was meant for obviously, it was like for like upper class white people because the thing that they had done before was go out and like hunt and kill and take land from indigenous people. That was like the highest honor if you could do. That was the whole Rough Riders of, of Teddy Roosevelt. And then it's like, as these things like have evolved, they've shifted. And then of course, the number one buck in America, the, the dollar shifted in a way where like, we know how these things now are made. People just want their cake and eat it too. And it's like, it's a, it's, it's a bit piecemeal, like taking one thing after another. But like, I do think that each one of these chips is moving to something big. I don't know what that's going to be, but from the Mississippi flag to the anthem 
to you know oh, yeah. like each it's one like, it is it, america's evolving yeah each one compounds upon the other and i know sometimes you don't i know sometimes you feel like nothing <laughs> i don't say nothing matters but like <laughs> like some of this stuff is kind of like eh. are you a pessimist eddie let me find out um i think i can be construed as a pessimist i'm just a realist quite <laughs> i mean i'm just like i'm just gonna like hey let me let's take a look at the track record here um you know, let's look at the history here. Uh, let's look at our sort of seemingly behavioral path dependence, right? We're like, how, how do we always end up right back where we began kind of thing? I, you all are pointing to some good evolutions, which are great, absolutely. But I think that there is a part of this country that traces back to the origins of it, whether it be a specific strain of nationalism that runs through, you know, don't tread on me and the Gadsden flag to the American flag, to the Confederate flag, to the Trump flag. And I think that that part of America is with us because it had serious utility in the beginning in order to build the nation initially. Mm -hmm. But now it's outlasted its utility, but it's not going anywhere. Mm. And in fact, it's hurting the massively bigger and more diverse country that, um, you know, has resulted in, you know, the 13 colonies turning into the United States. I just don't think, I think that part of America is going to remain and with us till the end. And it's just going to undermine every single thing we do until the end. When you say until the end, what do you mean? The end of the country. And so the end of the country, I would say that we're, we're seeing the beginning of the end of the country. That's fair. And when something and when something ends, like what what do you see being the new beginning, right? I don't know. I mean, it's not going to be this though. I mean, if when the United States as a country disbands or falls, um, where it's no longer this sovereign entity, maybe maybe that happens before climate change w wipes us all out, or maybe it, it you know it runs all the way up until the end of the world in climate as we know it. But <laughs> you are a pessimist. Well, I mean, just <laughs> the truth will say for you. What's what's that meme with the dude sitting in Central Park? He's got the sign. He, he's like, boom, boom, boom. You know, prove me wrong or, you know, convince me I'm wrong or something. He's got like a cup That's of coffee. That's definitely you. That's definitely me. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's, it, my main thing is like, tell me when history ended. Mm. Like, when did the, the this nationalism that was so crucial and, and important to the country, like, when did it end? I think the thing is like, G and I, because like on the day to day, some of the stuff like we're pushing, I feel like we have to sometimes be a little bit more optimistic because so much of the stuff we do is so micro and change, right? Like, right, we're, yeah, yeah. We're not, we're not able to do like systems change. Like, really, only like big government can do like big systems change. Like, we're trying to affect like our little corners. So it's like, I feel like if we don't have a little optimism around that, then it's like, I think then otherwise I maybe would just go into finance and just be like, fuck it all. <laughs> like, you know, it's that's like a great, that's a great point, right? <laughs> like, like, why am I even doing this? And that's, I think the struggle with it. Cause I, and, and it's not like, I don't think that in my mind sometimes, but it's like, I don't know. And by the way, you touched upon something, which I was pushing on someone else the other day, maybe like environment, it's like our number one. Like, I know we're talking reparations, all these things, but like, if we don't fix the environment first, like this, any of it even matter? I think about that all the time. <laughs> like all the time, but I don't I unfortunately I I do feel like an obligation to my people and I know I know logically that the climate is the number one most important thing that we should be focused on for all of humanity to survive, but also a part of me is like 
I can't pull focus away from, especially like racial justice here in America. I don't feel like I have the privilege to do so, even though that part of me knows knows better. Um, but like, I feel like I'm in between you and Eddie because I, I'm an optimist, but I'm also a realist as well. And I know the end is coming. In what way? I don't know, but I, I don't believe like it's the end of everything. You know, I think everything comes to an end. The Roman Empire came to an end. You know, yep. every you know, America's still like a little baby. You know, so mad young, and it's coming to an end. You know, probably much earlier than a lot of empires. And um, my my whole thing is like, we know it's coming, but what do we set in place to make it a, like a more inheritable tomorrow for the generations? that come after the end of America. You know what I mean? America's ending for sure. We, oh, see, the, we see the systems breaking down. So Yeah. And I, I think the climate change thing is definitely a world issue. America is not the world. So from an American standpoint, I, I definitely, the biggest thing I push back on is the notion of inevitable change or inevitable progress. I'm not saying that you two are proponents of that. I think that most folks fall into that kind of blind optimism of, you know, the arc bends towards, it's long, but it bends towards justice or something. So I, I, so that, that's my main thing. So in being a realist, I don't want it to lapse into fatalism, but I think we can never take our eye off of the part of the country that was essential to it, but remains to this day and has outlived its usefulness is actually quite harmful. So we can never turn away from that is my main thing. The other part that's like really tough is like we know this is a long road and it's like the further and further like the argument already by plenty of moderate people and conservative people, obviously. And let's just call it the, the, the Trump you know, Confederate wing is Martin Luther King, you know, Civil Rights Act, 60s. Ah. Things happen. You're good. Ah. And that's now You're good. And that's been, um, <laughs> I don't know what that, that's been like, 50, 60 years, right? So do we think like reparations is going to happen in the next 20 to 30? And then suddenly we get 100 years out and people in that crew, because we know generation by generation, they don't get better. It's the same old shit. That, that's like the fear. I guess my fear is always like, and I and like, once again, I definitely could be wrong. There's the crowd that's it's like, you got to go hard all the way in and then there's the other people who's like you've got to do incremental stuff and like i'm afraid if we consistently try to go hard all the way in there's not a case built to be bigger and like i think about like in business like if i'm going in and trying to build a new contract with someone i don't ask for 10 million dollars i might ask for a hundred thousand dollars start building with them and then hope that that builds over time because we build like trust and to me like I think some of the things that are really interesting right now are like baby bonds that like seemingly, once again, it would be universal. It would not be whatever. So I like, once again, I get it, but like universal basic income, guaranteed income, like there's things out there that honestly, by the way, we're not in the Overton window just like a few years ago, which right now we're talking about. And most people are like, yeah, there's common sense around that. That in itself is right. a big shift. If you at least can start getting some of this stuff done and then you start showing that like every year we're giving $2,000 to babies. And over the next 15 years, you know, millions of kids suddenly by the time they hit college have a little bit of a nest egg to actually pay for education instead of getting into student debt. Like, I, I'm not saying that we should, we should be impatient and wait, but I also like, 
don't want us to miss opportunities to start like building. I, I can also go against myself on this entire argument, but. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a good, I think this is a good, this is a good teaser, right? I, this is a new season. We talked about a lot of things that can just go really deep and we could do entire episodes on. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of things that we want to explore during this season, but Baby Bonds is definitely dope far. I mean, what else do you want to explore this season? What else do you want to get deep on? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think you were talking about bringing on someone uh, who's deep into Marxism. You. To like really break that down. Yep, yeah. Because that plays into like the layering with that and cast and just the, all the different ways of looking at it. So that's It undergirds important. everything. 100%. It undergirds Bernie's whole movement, Occupy Wall Street, everything, even if we, even if we don't know it. Yeah, we might, we might piss off some Bernie bros on that episode, but we'll see. We got to bring in a Confederate scholar. Have yeah, to. Definitely. We got to go deep. We, we got to go deep there. And then, uh, I don't know, like, I think all of us just said that we're interested in the environment. I think we need to bring in someone really dope when it comes to environmental stuff. I think all of us are deficient on that. It'd be super cool. I don't know. Gee, what are things that you're like kind of thinking a lot about right now that maybe we could be leaning into? I think I'm getting more and more curious. Uh, since the since the Confederate flag came down, it's freed up a lot of my mental space. I'm I'm really curious about the prison industrial complex and prison reform, right. Um, right. justice reform. That's that, that's something that I'm I'm learning more about and working with a couple organizations, uh, kind of from a student level, but also doing whatever I can with my humble platform to to amplify as well. I'm also really interested in. Um, spirituality and this this collective uh, awakening reawakening that i that I, I feel happening not only within myself but throughout our society as above so below so they say right so i i think that humanity itself could use a little more reflective time a little more reflection to see um all of these distractions that are put in front of us you know how how do we kind of deprogram from a lot of these programs that we were raised with like what does that look like what are the consequences of that? So those are the things I'm I'm kind of interested in going deeper in. The last thing I would add is you you obviously stole my thunder, Farb. Definitely Marxism. We got to get deep into that. Give a little teaser because you broke it down the other day around feudalism and like caste versus kind of Marxism. Can you give the folks just at least that breakdown as to like kind of how you're thinking about this? Because I thought that was a really great kind of snippet. Oh, shit. All right. Let me lean in a little bit here. So I guess... Most of it, it's been rattling around in my head for a long time without me really even knowing it. It's the whole class first approach. Maybe that's a little reductionist with, with folks that would align with that, how I put it like that. But it's the idea that capitalism really is the origins of our discontents. And it is all of the things that are wrong with American society can be traced back to the ills that have resulted from capitalism, the private property, private ownership of the mode of production, exploitation of labor, uh, whether it be wage labor, labor or slave labor, um, and the idea of, of how we can cure all of the things is it's really we need to be talking about capitalism. Yep, yeah, yep. racism is is part of it. Sure, it comes it comes under that. You know, racism is it segments the the the, the labor class, but it's really classism and capitalism producing a class society that alienates us all. That's really a, probably an oversimplified Marxist. But Mar so it goes back to Karl Marx, right, and the Communist Manifesto and communism, socialism. All right, I'm going to stop there. But my <laughs> idea is that I'm, I'm from the book of Isabel Wilkerson, 
you know, caste. I think the problem is really caste, which is tied to our feudal history, which you can trace back to the Roman Empire, which you can trace back to medieval Europe in the Middle Ages, which you can trace mm -hmm. back to European aristocracy in the 17th and 18th century, where it's a social political order which produces a certain economic utility. But caste is the idea that people are put in stations in life that are immutable rather than class. Class, you can get more money and move up in class or move down, that kind of thing. But caste is the thing that has instantiated what we understand as race. Right. So it, there's a lot there. Those two things are definitely fundamentally at odds, and we and we'll we'll talk about more about how those are. You know, caste is seen as a arguments for caste are seen as a form of neoliberalism. You know, so I just open up a big bag, you know, can of worms there. But that's a little bit on why I am so interested in Marxism mm -hmm. and want to bring Exciting. on a Marxist scholar to break it down, and also somebody that I can argue with. Um, mm. So there's that. I'm with it. You can argue with me. I don't know much about the subject, but you know, I can pretend. I can pretend real well. But for real, see, but G, you you know, you were nodding along to some of the Marxist argument, but I think we're all familiar with, right? I mean, I think that that is yeah. really where Occupy Wall Street comes from, and in the Bernie movement, and and the radical left, uh, as it stands right now in the Democratic Party, I think has roots in Marxism. Whether whether they you mm. know, want to stay away from Marxism because it's a, it's associated with with um, communism and Soviet Union yeah, and all of those it's things. It's a bad word. Right, exactly. <laughs> but 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 still there's there there's there's a there's a, an essential critique um that I think is still rings true for a lot of people. Well you also though you're just putting in the hierarchy of where you think the the matter of importance of these things are. It's not like you're saying yeah, exactly. like you don't like rock heavy with some of the Marxist arguments. Yeah. It's just more of like when we look at all the ills and all the bigger structural things, you just put it below this like feudalism cast. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 sort of like, well, what's the core problem? Which came first rather than capitalism, which Marxists would argue, I think it's caste. Oh, we're going to get into it. I'm excited. <laughs> but and then the last thing I would just say is I've been re reading a ton of Stephanie McCurry, who is a history professor out of Columbia. She writes a lot of, of, of women's history. She wrote a very dope book called um, Masters of, of Small World, uh, which was her first book. But she talks a lot about religion. And Fab, you talked about this. Um, religion, is it helping? Is it hurting? Is it doing both? But she basically describes how religious was essential to pro-slavery ideology in the antebellum South. And, um, you know, how more than half of pro-slavery literature was produced by evangelical ministers and how... Um, as a worldview within America, pro-slavery ideology, you know, has no foundation without religion. So religion is something I really want to dig into as well in an American context. I mean, religion is thousands of millennia, like just talk about America. basically. And, and, your, and your dude, Kevin, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Cruz, Crucy or whatever, dropping the fact that the whole Republican Party's like oh, modern right. day doctrine is basically with like <laughs> was pushed through the church with through, through pastors. Yeah, exactly. Not only that, Absolutely. but the whole sort of anti anti abortion movement, who people think is like anti abortion being like a fundamental tenet of just oh well they're just religion. They're just old fashioned. That's why they're against abortion. It's not that simple. There are deeper mm -hmm. roots and it gets really crazy, which uh which it did in, in the mid nineteenth century. Which I'm down to talk about. Y'all are gonna have to just listen to the rest of the episodes if you want to get in on this. Yep, yep. First episode in the books. We're back. We got G. We got Eddie. We got Farbs. We got a lot to bring you. We'll see you next week. We'll be posting about how you can sign up for the live podcast. 
Uh, but it's going to be at noon EST next Wednesday. Uh, stay tuned. Peace.